All right. Well, we are um, in Acts chapter 2. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 1, and the, the message was God's kingdom agenda. And we talked about how God has this global plan to advance his kingdom throughout the entire world through the proclamation of the gospel, through the saints, the people of God, empowered by the Spirit, and through the prayers of the saints. So we talked about that, and and I highlighted how Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is a key verse for the entire book of Acts. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses, witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this is going to happen. So Jesus says this is going to happen. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. And then he tells them to wait also in verse 4 and 5. He tells his disciples to wait until they receive the promise, until they are empowered with the Spirit of God. Wait until you get that. And today we're going to talk about that. We are going to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit being given at Pentecost. Now, for some people, you may get a little bit nervous when when I announce that we're going to have a sermon on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because maybe you've had some some awkward experiences. For others, thank you. For the charismatics, you're like, yeah, I've been waiting for this, Pastor Keith. Bring it. Come on. Let's talk about the Holy Ghost and let's experience the power of the Holy Spirit here at City Church. We want to be people of the Spirit, people who are filled with the Spirit of God, and we want to be people of the Word. We want to be both. We want to hold both of those tightly and and, and cling to the leading, the working, the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we want to cling to the solid truth of Scripture that the Holy Spirit inspired human authors to write. We cling to those truths and we filter even what the Holy Spirit says through what God has clearly made known through Scripture to us. So there are times when people make claims that the Holy Spirit is leading them to do something that is directly against what Scripture says. I'm going to go with what the Bible says if somebody's telling me. They're going with something that is directly in opposition to what Scripture says. To try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is trying to breathe without air. It's been said without oxygen. You need oxygen in your lungs. You need your blood pumping and you need your your heart pumping and, and oxygen going inside of you constantly. In the Christian life, It is necessary in the Christian life for us to have and receive and experience the life of the Holy Spirit. Actually, if you don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, then you're actually not even a Christian. You see, every single Christian has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Ephesians 1.13 says that you were sealed with the Spirit when you believed. You heard the gospel. 
you believed it, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And so this is a promise that God, I, I love this about the gospel, that God doesn't just pardon our sin and, and, and make us right with him and then let us try to live the rest of our lives in our own strength and figure things out in our own strength, in our own power. No, he, he's provided grace and mercy to pardon our sins, but also he has provided power for us to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And so this morning, it's my hope that we recognize our need for the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. That we not live our Christian lives on uh, autopilot and just coast, but that we position ourselves in such a way that we would be filled with the Spirit of God and live lives that reflect the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And so let's pray and we'll dig into the text. Father, as we open this scripture, your inspired words, I pray that you would help me to handle them well, that you might be honored, that your people might be helped and edified and built up, and that we might be moved on to your agenda. I pray that, God, you would uh, deepen your work in our hearts through your Holy Spirit today. Pray that you would open our eyes, that you would empower us, that you would equip us, that you would strengthen us, and that you would overcome any barriers and obstacles in our hearts and minds that keep us back from experiencing the fullness of your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, come. And move in power, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read the first 13 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, 
said they are filled with new wine. All God's people said, amen. Here's the big idea where we're going this morning from this text, that God fulfilled his promise by giving his people the Holy Spirit for the empowerment of his global mission. God made a promise in the Old Testament that he would pour out his spirit, that he would give all of the people of God his spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God came upon certain leaders and certain individuals for certain tasks, and God would uh, work through them. But in the New Covenant, which is greater and, and more glorious, according to Second Corinthians 3, all of the people of God get the spirit of God. When Moses said, I would, I wish that all God's people would prophesy. I wish all of them had an utterance that came from the spirit of God. And, and in the new covenant, we are all given the spirit of God and we are given utterance to speak about Jesus to a lost and dying world. And so one of the things that Pentecost, and this is where Pentecostals get their names, God fulfilled his promise. God did what he said he would do. He would give his spirit. He would pour out his spirit. Jesus told his disciples that this is going to happen in John chapter 14 and 16. He even said, it's better for you guys that I go back to the father and then I'll send the spirit to you guys. It's better. Like for us, maybe we struggle with that. Like, I think it's better for me to hang with Jesus in bodily form, right? For the rest of my life. But Jesus says, no, this is better. This is a, it's a better plan here. Jesus came, he did his work on earth, he finished his work while he was here physically, but he's not done working. He's still working through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we looked at last week in the beginning of Acts, Luke said, I've told you about what Jesus has began to do, what he's do, what he began to do and teach. That implies that he's continuing to work. After he was crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended back to the Father. Jesus is continuing to work through his church. And you know what? He's not done. The story goes on and you and I get to carry the torch. We get to be a part of God's global plan, God's global mission. So this is my one main point this morning. I don't have like three points here. I got one main point. As I said last week, uh, the, you know, the book of Acts is narrative and it's a little more challenging to, to preach, uh, for, for me at least, to preach narrative. There's some more challenges to it. And so this is my one point. God has fulfilled his promise by giving his people the Holy Spirit for the empowerment of global mission. Back in verse 4, Jesus said of, of chapter 1, he said, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is what Jesus said would happen. This is what John the Baptist said would happen. Jesus said in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. What happened at Pentecost was fulfillment of verse 8. This was, start, this was the beginning of the fulfillment of verse 8. There were Jews from all over. And the witness of the disciples were t was taking place in Jerusalem. In a very remarkable way, the Spirit was moving in a very phenomenal, remarkable way amongst the, the saints there in Jerusalem. God poured out His Spirit, starting in Jerusalem, 
And there's just this ripple effect that we see throughout the book of Acts. For the next several chapters, we'll hear about God's ministry, the work of the, of, of the kingdom spreading in Jerusalem, and then it'll go to Judea, and then to Samaria in chapter 8 uh, with Philip, and then uh, it'll go all the way, and the, the, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome. So it goes, the, the, the kingdom expands, the message of the gospel advances, and it goes out all the way from from Jerusalem to Rome, which was the world power of that day. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, I forgot to mention this last week, that it, it kind of bookends too about Jesus, chapter 1, it says that Jesus was speaking 40 days to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And then in, in at the end of Acts, verse 28, it, Paul was in Rome, imprisoned. He had, I think he had a nice setup, prison set, jail setup, uh, house arrest. And he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Like, and so there's this, and, and then throughout the book of Acts, we see what the kingdom of God looks like when the people of God pray. When the people of God proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So that was our message last week. John the Baptist and Luke chapter 3. By the way, Luke, again, is the same author of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is like Luke volume 2. John the Baptist, when Jesus showed up before he started his public ministry, when Jesus showed up to get baptized, um, John the Baptist was there and he was saying, Jesus, John, John answered them and said, um, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now take note. Take note that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he experienced the Spirit of God coming upon him. See, Jesus went down into the waters of baptism through John the Baptist, and the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. The Spirit came on him. Now, when all the people uh, were baptized and when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, by, by the way, that's what the early church was doing. They were, they were praying when the Holy Spirit came. The heavens were opened up. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Now notice this. Notice that in this text, on this scene, there is the father speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son and I'm, in whom I'm well pleased. There's the son. And there is the Holy Spirit working together. We believe in the Trinity here, right? And so we believe that God is uh, one, that he's three persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here's a snapshot of that. And, and the ministry that Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God who anointed Jesus to do the works that he did, to proclaim the message that he proclaimed. And it was the same for the disciples and the followers of Jesus who would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The Spirit would come upon them and empower them, you and I, to be witnesses. Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 in Luke 4 when he started his ministry. After he had fasted, he came back uh, in the power of the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Acts 10.38, Luke says that, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And so we see this model. We see this model of at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he experiences the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we see this with the church when the church gets started in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is poured out and comes upon the people of God. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that occurred. That was the baptism. They experienced the Spirit of God coming upon them, and it was phenomenal. It was the day of Pentecost, so Jews would come in a couple times a year to Jerusalem for feast, and this was one of them. Uh, it's also known as uh, with the Feast of First Fruits. Pentecost means 50, so like 50 days. And so when, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, uh, they were all together in one place, and then suddenly there was this sound like a mighty rushing wind. You guys ever been in a tornado and heard a tornado close by or been close to a uh, a train, been close to a train when the train comes by and there's just this loud sound. This was a phenomenon. This was this was special. God was doing something special. God was pouring out his spirit. He was doing something in redemptive history at this time. And there was this sound. And then there was this also this sight. There was the sound of wind, and there was this sight of divided tongues as fire. Uh, both are symbolic, by the way, of the, the presence of God and, and, and the Spirit of God, right? In the Old Testament, well, b- both the Hebrew and the Greek word for spirit can also mean breath. So the Hebrew word ruach means the breath, breath of God, right? The Spirit of God. Uh, pneuma, I believe, is the Greek word, uh, which, which could also mean breath, right? And so the Holy Spirit's likened to the wind. Jesus, in John chapter 3, likened the Holy Spirit and his work to the wind. You don't see where the wind comes from. You don't know, you don't see or know where it's going or where it comes from, but you can feel it. So, so the spirit, the working of the spirit is like the wind, like a mighty rushing wind. And it's like, uh, uh, tongues that came, tongues of fire that appeared upon. And then there was this sound of these 120 Galileans, disciples, who they had witnessed the resurrection and they were obeying Jesus's command to wait. To wait in Jerusalem, and while they were waiting, they weren't just playing games, card games. They were praying. They were seeking God. They were putting their sails up for the wind to blow, and God showed up when he wanted at the right time, and then they start speaking with tongues. They have this utterance, and it says, Luke says in verse 4, that the Spirit gave them this utterance. They weren't just babblers making up words trying to sound spiritual, the Spirit of God came upon them and moved them to speak words that perhaps they didn't understand, but those around who had come to Jerusalem for the feast from different places, they were hearing these Galileans speak their own language. And it was phenomenal. 
I mean, that would kind of be like me uh, just speaking flawless uh, German or Mandarin. How about we got some Mandarin folks here? Just I start speaking in, in 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 Mandarin, and those of you who are from from China or Chinese, you would understand in your own tongue. But I I haven't taken any Mandarin classes, so it would be a miracle for me to just start preaching in Mandarin. And you guys would be like, wow, that's amazing. That's a miracle. Pastor Keith knows Mandarin. He hasn't even studied it, right? And so these people were experiencing a miracle phenomenon. God was doing something really special. And what Jesus said in Acts 1-8 was coming to pass. They were being witnesses in Jerusalem. Notice what they were saying. They weren't just saying empty, meaningless words, babbling. This wasn't like Babylon. Actually, it was the opposite. You know, there was confusion and separation. And here we see God doing kind of a reverse of Genesis 11. Here's this unity. There's this uniting of a people and diversity. And then there's this understanding that God gives through their speech, even though those who are speaking it may not understand it. But those here in their own tongue, those who are from other uh, places here in their own tongue, and it's it's a miracle. So we, we see there's this sound, there's this sight, and then uh, there's this there's mighty rushing wind, there's this fire, and there's these tongues. Now, we'll say this, that I think this is this is a unique situation. Um, typically, I think when I, I believe in, in that there is a gift of tongues that is still valid and operating today. Okay, I'm just straight up tell you that I believe that and I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he talks about it in first Corinthians 14, he says when a person is speaking in tongues, they are um, they're praying, but they don't really understand what they're saying, but they're talking to God and they're but they're being built up. Paul was correcting some some misunderstanding that the, that the Corinthians had about spiritual gifts and misuses of the gift of tongues. But but what we see here in Acts is God gives this gift and people are understanding that. Okay, they're filled with the Spirit. They're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let me just say this too: that as we read through Acts, uh, one of the things that to consider as you're reading through certain things in Acts is what what's there is it prescriptive or is it descriptive because much of Acts is is descriptive it's it's telling a narrative it's a story this is what God was doing okay now back at the end of chapter 1 the apostles needed to somebody to fill Judas's spot for, as as the 12th apostle right and so one of the things they do to select the right guy, should we go with this guy or this guy, is they cast lots. Like, does that mean that that's how church leaders should be selected today? Like, we got two guys, hey, let's just cast the lots and let's go with this guy. Right? Not necessarily. It's not necessarily um, uh, prescriptive there. It's descriptive. It's what they did. Okay? Doesn't mean necessarily that we're to do the same thing. Yet, there are places uh, throughout Acts that you will see the church doing things, models that, that should be imitated, that, that we should follow because the epistles give prescriptive instructions of like pray. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. These guys are praying, pray. Uh, Paul calls the churches to repent, put off the old man, put on the new man, like turn away from your selfishness and pride and so on. We're to repent. 
Peter tells them to repent, believe the gospel, right? Uh, repent, get baptized, right? Uh, Jesus uh, instructed for his followers to get baptized and then to baptize others, right? And and so that's something that's prescriptive for us because we see it in other places in the scriptures. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. We see the Luke loves to talk about the Holy Spirit. I, I really like that about Luke. He he's one of the gospel writers that uh, of the four who seems to have a, a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the book of Acts in, in Ephesians five, Paul instructs the Ephesian church not to get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, at Pentecost, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. God was doing a unique thing. But but here's the deal. The, the Holy Spirit is for all of the people of God to indwell, for us to be indwelt by the Spirit, and for us to be filled with and influenced by the Holy Spirit. That's for, that is for every single Christian, whether you're charismatic or you're cessationist, whether you're very reserved to the things of the Spirit or whether you're all in, like, lead me where you want me to go, Holy Spirit. We are all commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And just so you know where, where I, I stand on this, I would consider myself a continuationist. So not a cessationist. I don't uh, hold a cessationist view that, you know, like the gift of tongues and miracles and healings uh, have ceased when the apostles died off. I, I believe that God has continued to work powerfully through his Holy Spirit uh, even to this day, and that the gifts are still valid for today. I am an unashamed. I'm a charismatic. So, you know, I mean, if you've ever wondered, like, where, where does Pastor Keith stand theologically? I'm a charismatic. I embrace the gift of the Holy Spirit. I I, I like to describe myself as a charismatic with my seatbelt on, though. One of the the, the, the fruit, uh, the one of the descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Okay, the Holy Spirit does not lead people to just lose control of themselves in an unhealthy way where they just do things and say things that are hurtful and just really, really crazy. Now, I, I, I will say there are many things that the Holy Spirit leads us into that seems crazy to the world. But I've met a lot of charismatic Christians who have done things in the name of the Holy Spirit telling them, but it was all flesh, if you ask me. <laughs> Okay, and and the and the, there should be fruit that bears witness to it. One of the the the, the greatest marks of, of somebody who has the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, love. I mean, that is the mark of a genuine Christian. If the Spirit of God is in you, then you must have love, love for people. I got saved at a charismatic church when I was sixteen years old. <clears throat> I saw other people around me who were very free. To express their love for Jesus. They were able to lift their hands. And shout. And sing. And cry. And then they, they prayed in tongues. I mean it, it was it was really. It was, a, it was a beautiful experience. That I had when I first came to the Lord. And I. I desired to experience God. In a deeper way. I mean I had been a Christian for several months. And I just. I wasn't free like I saw other people experiencing freedom and so i i begin to ask god to fill me with his holy spirit and i begin to ask for the gift of tongues like hey man these guys have the gift of tongues why can't i have it right so i asked for it 
I asked God to give me that. And, and one day, in a corporate worship setting, during worship, the Spirit of God came upon me in a special way where I all of a sudden began to lose uh, self-awareness or self-consciousness and, and fear of pe- what people think about me. Like, don't lift your hands because they might think you're a little too radical or whatever. Like, all of a sudden, I just got free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I got free to express my love for Jesus. And I began to sing. And, and, and the Spirit of God came upon me. And you know what? I started speaking in tongues. And it was really weird. It was... It was cool. It was weird. I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on. Uh, but I remember afterwards, after that time, I went to lunch with my, my parents at IHOP and I was like, I, it was such a powerful experience. Like I didn't even want to eat lunch because I didn't want to like take away from the specialness of what just happened. Like, gosh, this was amazing. I don't want to like, you know, take away that, that this feeling that I'm feeling right. I'm kind of buzzing, you know, I'm not drunk with wine. I'm filled with the spirit, you know, and like I don't want that to to go away. Right? And so that that's been my experience. And to me, that's been described to me as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are th- theologians that would say, well, that was, you know, that was just a filling of the Holy Spirit. Luke does use baptism and filling interchangeably, at least in Luke, Acts chapter two. He says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the baptism that was initially happening. And in the book of Acts, when people were baptized, when people converted, a lot of times they, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, according to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, it says that, that when we were, actually I'll just read it. And this is kind of where, where a lot of theologians will land on the baptism and as far as the timing of it. For, for in one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized in one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And so there's charismatics would even, that would, many charismatics would, would even say, yeah, that's when the baptism happens, is when you become a Christian. Okay, either way, it's clear in scripture that when you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1, 13. So don't let anybody ever make you feel like you're a second-class Christian if you haven't had these profound experiences with the Holy Spirit that others have. Okay, I think that's one problem in, in many charismatic circles is that if you haven't had these deeper experiences, then you're, you're at this level with God. That's, that's a problem. Okay? Because we, when, when we become Christians, we're, we're brought into the family of God. We get the spirit of God and we have access to the power of God. Okay. Now, some of us need to let go and let him have his way in us. If we're going to experience that, there's some barriers that keep us from experiencing. We quench or we grieve the Holy Spirit. But either way, so whether you're a cessationist and, and you can be a cessationist in this church and, and, and we can walk together and that's great. Uh, the last church, city church, CCI, uh, Dallas had cessationists and had charismatics there. And we walked together because the gospel was the main issue, not spiritual gifts. And there, there are secondary issues like spiritual gifts that we don't want to break fellowship over and, and overemphasize like the Corinthians did. Paul called them back to center themselves on the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, a whole chapter on it. Center themselves back on love, 1 Corinthians 13, a whole chapter in it, sandwiched in between spiritual gifts. Okay, so we're going to major on loving one another. We're going to major on the gospel. 
and we're going to we're going to roll with the moving of the Holy Spirit. We're going to put ourselves up and let him move powerfully through us and, and love him unashamedly. You know, Christians do just often look weird to the world. When God poured out his spirit at Pentecost, these believers, they, they were considered to be drunk. They're like, man, these guys are filled with new wine. They're speaking these tongues. But it's crazy because I understand in my heart language and they're Galileans and they're speaking it perfectly and I hear it, right? Uh, I don't know how that's working there, uh, but they weren't drunk. They weren't drunk with wine. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So anyhow, so here's the, here's here's the bottom line. If you're if you're charismatic or you're cessationist, either way, both sides need to embrace Ephesians five eighteen. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you if you if you're Pentecostal, so Pentecostals would say many Pentecostals would say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to salvation. And, and many of them, well, some of them would say, you know, that it's evidence with speaking of tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecostals would say. I disagree. I disagree with that because not every instance in the book of Acts, when people were filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized in the Holy Spirit, did they speak with tongues? Sometimes they prophesied. Sometimes they spoke the word of God boldly. And if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and maybe that was a subsequent experience for you, you've exper- you experienced a filling or a baptism, you'd call it, after you became a Christian, that's great. But you're not like on this next level to where you don't need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because I've met many Christians who've been baptized in the Holy Spirit subsequently to their initial conversion, but still struggled with some significant sin issues that don't reflect them being filled with the Holy Spirit. So either way, whether you're charismatic or whether you're cessationist, you got to embrace this truth, this command of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine, but let the Spirit of God fill you. Let Him empower you. Let Him have control. I mean, what when people are filled with, with alcohol, what do they do? They're under the influence they, they're, so their senses are dumbed down. They, they can't walk straight. They can't drive straight. They say things maybe they shouldn't. Um, they, there's, there's this influence that controls and guides them. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's this influence where we let Him guide us and lead us in the things we say and the things that we do. I like to liken it as putting yourselves up. Now, you can't make the Holy Spirit fill you. So he's he's not like the motor of a motorboat and you're going to turn it on, put some gas in it, turn it on, put it in drive and you can go as fast as you want, wherever you want. He's not like that. We don't control God and how he moves and how he works. We're like sailboats and we put ourselves up and the spirit is like the wind and he blows and he moves wherever he wants, whenever he wants. So like in, in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Gentiles start getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God starts falling upon these non-Jews. You know what? That's okay with God. God actually had that plan. But the Jews had to wrestle with that. Like, man, these guys get the Holy Spirit now. They're a part of this now. Like, like God's just sharing that with everybody now? I thought we were like the only ones, right? And so they had to wrestle with that. God is free to give Grace and mercy and the, his spirit working in anybody's lives that he chooses to do so. 
Man, I was going to try to work through the whole chapter of chapter two, and I'm not even close. So be filled with the Spirit. And, and, and what is that? So this is an imperative. This is a command, yet it's passive. It's a passive imperative, so we can't make it happen. All right? And then it's a continual thing. It's an ongoing thing. So whether you experienced the Holy Spirit powerfully 10 years ago or two weeks ago, you know what? You need to be filled with the Spirit of God today. Because you didn't just stay in the zone for all that time without being filled again. Right? We don't just stay in the zone automatically because we were filled one time with the Holy Spirit and had an experience with God. Walking with Jesus is a daily relationship with Him. And the Holy Spirit makes the presence of God known to us. Where we feel His touch, we experience His love. Romans 5, 5, He pours out into our hearts the love of God. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So even after I had that, that profound experience as a 17-year-old new Christian, I still had many more experiences with the Holy Spirit of God. I didn't graduate to some level when I, when I had that experience with God. Now, I did experience power to be a more effective witness. I did experience more freedom to express worship and praise to God with less hindrance. But I still needed to continue to experience the Spirit of God working in my life. And I've had more and more. So, so don't just limit the work of God to one experience that you had one time, whether you prayed a prayer and you gave your life to Jesus or whether you experienced the Holy Spirit moving you to tears and, and doing something deep in your heart. It's an ongoing, God is alive and Christianity is miraculous. Throughout the Bible, God is doing miracles. He's changing people from the inside out. He is the living God. So let's, let's avoid p- trying to put God in this box that he has to be just uh, how we, we think he should be. The Bible gives us instruction in, in how we should think about God. Let me, let me just point out a couple things here. Peter explains what was going on here. So, so Peter wants to address that these guys aren't drunk. It's still the morning, okay? People, you know, most people don't get drunk at nine o'clock in the morning. It may be a hangover from the night before, uh, but most people aren't drinking at, um, at nine o'clock in the morning. It's only the third hour, Peter says. Peter lifts up his voice. Here's Peter being a witness, doing what Jesus said he would do. He lifts up his voice. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So Peter's like, this was that. The prophet said this would happen. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I love this on all flesh. I love the international component of what's going on here. God has this global plan. It's not just an Israel thing. It's a global thing that God's doing. There's a diversity in the kingdom of God. And in heaven, there will be every tribe and every tongue around the throne. Revelation 7, 9, right? And then it's not just for men. Here we got the sons and daughters prophesying. I love that Luke highlights that in the gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, that women have an important role in the kingdom of God. 
and they get the spirit too and they get to prophesy too and speak with utterances that come from the Holy Spirit. All the people of God get some kind of utterance from the spirit when you're a Christian, whether that's tongues, whether that's prophecy, whether that's proclaiming the gospel or just simply saying Jesus is Lord. Paul says in Corinthians, he said that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. So he gives, the Spirit gives the people of God an utterance to, to proclaim, to witness that Jesus is who he says he is. And we see Peter doing that. There's a purpose with this, the Spirit being poured out too. The power of the Spirit. It's not just for entertainment and fun. Okay, like, wow, look at this cool miracle I did. I healed this guy, or I'm, I pray in tongues now, or look how spiritual I am. There's a purpose with it, and one of the major purposes is, is that the people of God would be witnesses. There's an evangelistic, missional purpose to experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Have you ever felt like a weak, powerless witness for Jesus? People are all around you, sick and dying, sinful and headed for hell. And have you ever felt like, gosh, I should talk to him, but I can't. I'm scared. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable you. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can lift your voice up like Peter did here. And by the way, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Pentecost and in and, and chapter 2, in chapter 4, they had some threats not to preach. Like, don't preach or you're gonna, we're going to beat you down. And they prayed, and it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So those same people who were baptized with the Holy Spirit, including Peter, needed to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. And it says they spoke the word of God with boldness when they were. They were given utterance from the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then actually next week, Lord willing, we'll look at Acts chapter 2, uh, 42 through 47, and we'll look at what the Spirit-filled life looks like day to day. Where they devoted themselves to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to uh, the apostles' doctrine, to um, prayer, the breaking of bread, fellowship, apostles' doctrine. They devoted themselves to that. They were generous. They were praising God. They were living this spirit-filled life on a day-to-day basis, meeting together. So anyways, Peter's preaching here. He's preaching this message, and he says the Holy Spirit's going to be given. He's going to be poured out on all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. There's going to be signs in heaven and so on. Verse 21, and it said, it shall come, he says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this is necessary. If somebody's going to be saved, they need to call upon the name of the Lord. Therefore, we need to go. We need to tell them. Therefore, there's an urgency that we have because we believe that if they don't know Jesus, then they will perish. If they don't hear, if they don't believe and put their faith in Jesus Christ, the only hope, the only way, the truth and the life, the only Savior, the only name under heaven by which men can be saved, Jesus Christ. If they don't hear and they don't believe it, then they won't be saved. And so we must go, Romans 10 tells us. We must proclaim that message. Peter's doing that here. God has a plan for that to go out to the whole world. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. 
This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. By the way, here's a verse packed with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. This was God's plan. God knew it would happen. God wasn't surprised. Jesus didn't accidentally lose his life. He was, he planned to lay his life down. Yet, God holds those who crucified him responsible. And you know what? We're guilty as well. Because it was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. He went there because of your sin and my sin. So as we read that, just don't think, yeah, get him. Get him, Peter. Get the, you guys crucified him. As the song says, it was my sin that held him there till it was accomplished. His dying death has brought me life. I know that it is finished. God raised him up. The story doesn't end there. You guys killed him. You're responsible. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He's proclaiming the gospel here. The spirit empowers the proclamation of the gospel. For David says concerning him, this is Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also shall dwell in hope for you did not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness in your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we are all witnesses. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses. When the Spirit of God comes upon you, you're going to have power to do that. Peter is doing that. Acts 1.8, in the power of the Spirit, he's being a witness. The 120 in the upper room, this is assumed that this is the upper room, are doing that. They're witnesses with their tongues, with the Spirit moving through them, giving them utterance. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the title of the message. The promise of the Holy Spirit. God has done what he said he would do. He gave his Spirit and oh, it was good. And he hasn't stopped giving his Spirit. He continues to give us of himself. That's a part of the gospel. That it comes be- to us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get that. Not just forgiveness and pardon and eternal life with God in heaven someday. We get life now. We get the power and the presence of God in us, with us now through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the ages. As you go and make disciples, Matthew 28, I'm going to be with you. How, how can that be when he's physically ascended and at the right hand of the Father? His spirit, his presence is with us. 
God has raised him up and we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they had heard this, they were cut to heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Every sermon needs an application. Every sermon needs an application. We should respond to every sermon thinking like, okay, here's what it means. Here's what, here's what it says. Here's what it means. What do I do? What do I believe? And what do I do? Well, he's told them what to believe and he tells them what to do. They want to know. They're cut. They're convicted. Yeah, we're guilty. We did that. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And now when he, they, they, they were cut to the heart, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, this Holy Spirit thing that's going on with us right now, you can have that too. It's, it's a promise, not just for us, but for you. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off to everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. By the way, you will see throughout the book of Acts, the sovereignty of God in salvation. Luke, just the way he captures stuff here. And this is one of them. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That promise is for you. It's for your children. It's for all who are far off. Far off folks, uh, Gentile folks in the end of the earth. Uh, that's us today, right? Yeah, we're, we're those, uh, and Ephesians speaks about those, you who are far off, uh, Gentiles. You who are far off. He's brought near to himself. He's called us to himself. We've gotten the Holy Spirit. We've received the forgiveness of sins. Now let me just say this too about, it's not that the, the being dipped in water forgives your sins. Baptism symbolizes salvation that we have through identifying with Jesus, believing in Jesus, right? We're, we died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. And, and in the book of Acts, baptism wasn't prolonged like we do it these days. We need to maybe think, rethink how we're doing baptism because when folks got saved, when folks became Christians, around that same time, they got baptized too. Like they were all in, Right? We got baptized like here. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's let's follow Jesus. So it was so closely connected to their conversion. It was a part of it. Okay. And so and then the Holy Spirit, man, you get the Holy Spirit, too. And then verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation so that those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3000 souls. So the church went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Imagine if God did that with us, with our little church here. If God just moved in power and decided to save a lot of people at once, we would need some disciplers. We would need some mature Christians ready to disciple new babies, to teach them the basics of the Christian faith. 
We would need more home groups and home group leaders. We would need more Bible studies and more women connect things and men connect things and recovery groups. We would need a lot more opportunities for people to connect and go deep with one another. If God just added to our numbers daily, those who are being saved. And I'm expecting God to move. As we're going through this, the book of Acts, let this be vision. May this be vision for us of what church could look like. Of what God might just want to do with our little church here in this upper room here. From this upper room here. God wants to move powerfully. And you know, we can, we can quench the spirit. We can quench his move in our lives. Paul in first Thessalonians five says, do not quench the spirit. Don't quench, don't shut the faucet off when he's flowing, right? Or despise prophecy, but test all things, he says. Okay, Jesus said in, in John seven thirty seven that he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke about the spirit. Don't quench that. Don't damn the river. Don't, don't stop what God's wanting to do in and through you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, through bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and malice and the works of the flesh, grieving the Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of you, who has sealed you for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him by, by rejecting his voice. So in application, what shall we do, Pastor Keith? Recognize your need for the Holy Spirit's power and guidance. Recognize you need him. It is so prideful of us to, to not recognize that we need him. To just go about our day and figure things out ourselves in our own strength, in our own power, with our own resources. I got this. If I get in a bind, God, I'll call you. So prideful. We're all guilty of it. And then ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, that he would empower you for ministry. Luke eleven thirteen says that if you being evil, fathers, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, if we already have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, why would we ask God, God, would you give me the Holy Spirit? Okay, well, let's frame the question like this. If we're already a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God has come in us and among us, why would we pray your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? Well, the kingdom has come and there is so much more that will happen that, that we're to pray will happen. That we've, we do have the spirit in dwelling in us. The spirit has come to live and take residence in us. But there is a filling and experience that we, we, we can grow in the fruit of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, letting Him have access to every room in our hearts, even though they may be messy, instead of being like, no, Holy Spirit, Jesus, you can't come there, that room's not clean yet. Well, exactly, I was going to help you clean the room. Like, you, you don't need to do it yourself. Let me help you clean the room. Okay, okay, have your way. Like let him fill you. Let him take access and occupy every area of your life. Let him influence you. And then avoid, avoid quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit, like I said, by responding to his leading. When he says something to you, he convicts you. He instructs you. 
He warns you, like we see in the book of Acts, there's one time where the disciples, Paul, you know, they're going to go to Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go to Asia. Okay, we'll go to Macedonia. They have a little vision, right? And they go to Macedonia, right? And and so the Spirit's leading and guiding the people of God. And if you're a Christian, you have that. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said that the Spirit would glorify you. You said that the Spirit would guide us and teach us, lead us into all truth, would comfort us. You said that you wouldn't leave us as orphans, but you would come to us. And for the brothers and sisters here who have been living like orphans or thinking like orphans, I pray that you would show up in this time in their lives and show them they don't have to think like that and live like that because you're there. Your presence and power is real and available. So we invite you here We invite you to have control of our lives, to reign in us, to rule, to bring your kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit in us and through us. I pray for those who are in despair, who need hope, that by the power of your spirit, you would give hope in difficult circumstances.